I like to imagine the bed as home plate, the toilet as first, the kitchen table as second, the front door as third. Should the doorbell ring while I'm lying in bed, I have to round the toilet and the kitchen table in order to arrive at the door. If it happens to be Bruno, I let him in without a word and then jog back to bed, the roar of the invisible crowd ringing in my ears. I often wonder who will be the last person to see me alive. If I had to bet, I bet in the delivery boy from the Chinese takeout. I order in four nights out of seven. Whenever he comes, I make a big production of finding my wallet. He stands in the door holding the greasy bag while I wonder if this is the night, I'll finish off my spring roll, climb into bed, and have a heart attack in my sleep. I try to make a point of being seen. Sometimes when I'm out, I'll buy juice, even though I'm not thirsty. If the store is crowded, I'll even go so far as dropping my change all over the floor, the nickels and dimes skidding in every direction. I'll get down on my knees. It's a big effort for me to get down on my knees and an even bigger effort to get up. And yet, maybe I look like a fool. I'll go into the athlete's foot and say, what do you have in sneakers? The clerk will look me over like the poor schmuck that I am and direct me over to the one pair of rock ports they carry, something in spanking white. Now I'll say, I have those already. <laughs> for being in this festival, you get actually a gift certificate for a pair of rock ports, so I too will finally have a pair of rock ports. Uh, I have those already, and I'll make my way over to the Reebok and pick out something that doesn't even resemble a shoe, a waterproof booty maybe, and ask for it in size nine. The kid will look again more carefully. He'll look at me long and hard. Size nine, I'll repeat while I clutch the web shoe. He'll shake his head and go to the back for them, and by the time he returns, I'm peeling off my socks. I'll roll my pants legs up and look down at those decrepit things, my feet, and an awkward minute will pass until it becomes clear that I'm waiting for him to slip the booties onto them. I never actually buy. All I want is not to die on a day when I went unseen. A few months ago, I saw an ad in the paper. It said, needed nude model for drawing class, $15 an hour seemed too good to be true, to have so much looked at by so many. I called a number. A woman told me to come the following Tuesday, and I tried to describe myself, but she wasn't interested. Anything will do, she said. The days passed slowly. I told Bruno about it, but he misunderstood and thought I was signing up for a drawing class in order to see nude girls. He didn't want to be corrected. They show their boobs, he asked. After Mrs. Freed on the fourth floor died and it took three days before anyone found her, Bruno and I got into the habit of checking on each other. We'd make little excuses. I ran out of toilet paper, I'd say, when Bruno opened the door. A day would pass. There'd be a knock on my door. I lost my TV guide, he'd explain. And I'd go and find him mine, even though I knew his was right there, where it always was, 
on his couch. Once he came down on a Sunday afternoon. I need a cup of flour, he said. It was clumsy, but I couldn't help myself. You don't know how to cook. There was a moment of silence. Bruno looked me in the eye. What do you know, he said. I'm baking a cake. Excuse me. When I came to America, I knew hardly anyone. Only a second cousin who was a locksmith, so I worked for him. If he had been a shoemaker, I would have become a shoemaker. If he had shoveled shit, I too would have shoveled. But he was a locksmith, he taught me the trade, and that's what I became. We had a little business together, and then one year he got TB. They had to cut his liver out, and he got 106 temperature and died, so I took it over. I stayed in the business for over 50 years. It's not what I would have imagined for myself, and yet the truth is I came to like it. I helped those in who were locked out. Others I helped keep out what couldn't be let in so they could sleep without nightmares. Then one day I was looking out the window. Maybe I was contemplating the sky. Put even a fool in front of the window and you'll get a Spinoza. The afternoon passed. Darkness sifted down. I reached for the chain on the bulb and suddenly it was as if an elephant had stepped on my heart. I fell to my knees. I thought, I didn't live forever. A minute passed. Another minute. I clawed at the floor, pulling myself along toward the phone. Twenty-five percent of my heart muscle died. It took time to recover and I never went back to work. A year went by. I stared out the window. I watched fall turn into winter, winter into spring. Some days, Bruno came downstairs to sit with me. We've known each other since we were boys. I didn't know he was still alive, and then one day, I was walking down East Broadway, and I heard his voice. I turned around. His back was to me. He was standing in front of the grocers, asking for the price of some fruit. I thought, you're hearing things. You're such a dreamer. What is the likelihood, your boyhood friend? I stood frozen on the sidewalk. He's in the ground, I told myself. Here you are in the United States of America. There's McDonald's. Get a grip. I waited just to make sure. I wouldn't have recognized his face, but the way he walked was unmistakable. He was about to pass me, and I put my arm out. I didn't know what I was doing. Maybe I was seeing things. I grabbed his sleeve. Bruno, I said. He stopped and turned. At first he seemed scared and then confused. Bruno. He looked at me. His eyes began to fill with tears. He touched his hand to my cheek. His hair was thin and white. He dropped the fruit. A couple of years later, his wife died. It was too much to live in the apartment without her. Everything reminded him. So when an apartment opened up in the floor above me, he moved in. We often sit together at my kitchen table. The whole afternoon might go by without our saying a word. If we do talk, we never speak Yiddish. The words of our childhood became strangers to us. 
We couldn't use them in the same way, and so we chose not to use them at all. Life demanded a new language. Once we were sitting silently together, suddenly one of us began to laugh. It was contagious. There was no reason for our laughter, but we began to giggle, and then the next thing we were rocking in our seats and howling, howling with laughter, tears streaming down our cheeks. A wet spot bloomed in my crotch, and that made us laugh harder. I was banging the table and fighting for air. I thought, maybe this is how I'll go. In a fit of laughter, what could be better? Laughing and crying, laughing and singing, laughing so as not to forget that I am alone, that it is the end of my life, that death is waiting outside the door for me. When I was a boy, I liked to write. It was the only thing I wanted to do with my life. I invented imaginary people and filled notebooks with their stories. I wrote about a boy who grew up and got so hairy people hunted him for his fur. He had to hide in the trees and he fell in love with a bird who thought she was a 300-pound gorilla. When I got older, I decided I wanted to be a real writer. I tried to write about real things. I wanted to describe the world because to live in an undescribed world was too lonely. I wrote three books before I was 21. Who knows what happened to them? The first was about Slonim, the town where I lived, which was sometimes Poland and sometimes Russia. When I gave it to the only person in Slonim whose opinion I cared about, she just shrugged and said she liked it better when I made things up. So I wrote a second book and I made up everything. I filled it with men who grew, grew wings, people who forgot their own names.